The following is message number two of the Southeast Blending Conference held in Atlanta, Georgia on the morning of March 26, 2011. The title of the message is The Formation of a Corporate Joshua and the speaker is Brother Ron Kangas. Wise God arranged that his written revelation in the 66 books of the scriptures would be presented in a marvelous way. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, among the prophecies and the statements of fact, we have many types, that is symbols, which function as pictures. And if we would become like little children to enter into the kingdom of the heavens, we will be thankful for the Bible picture book. Uh, we'll appreciate the lamb and the manna and the rock that was smitten and the good land, which is a type of of Christ in his all-inclusiveness. Then in the New Testament books, 27 books, we do not have types or pictures. We have actually profound definitions of those very pictures. So whereas we have the picture of the good land in the Old Testament, in Colossians chapter 1, we have Paul's word that this is our allotted portion. God has qualified us for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. God's eternal purpose is to have with his chosen and redeemed people a corporate expression of himself. This is the image mentioned in Genesis 1.26. Where there is this image, this corporate expression, there will spontaneously be the representation of God with his authority. That corresponds to let them have dominion, also in Genesis 1.26. This is the purpose for which God created the universe, including us. For this purpose we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. For this purpose we were redeemed and then regenerated in Christ. For this purpose... We responded to the preaching of the gospel, believed into the Lord, received him, were baptized, and were saved. And for this purpose, we somehow followed the Lord's leading into the church life in the Lord's recovery. We are not in charge here. We have a destiny set by the sovereign God in eternity past. We will in fact all be matured and perfected to be the city of glory, New Jerusalem, the corporate God-man, the consummation of the image, 
and the kingdom of God through, through which God reigns. Now we are all in the process. We saw at least somewhat last night that the believers, according to the type, advance in stages of their experience and enjoyment of Christ, beginning with the Lamb for redemption, and the entire Passover is a type of Christ, so we partake of this Redeemer, and we become a Lamb man. <clears throat> then eventually we make our way out of Egypt under the Lord's leading, and we discover that we need another kind of food, and that is manna, so we eventually become a manna man. <laughs> and we feed on this manna for a very long time, but eventually it needs to dawn on us with a powerful, unchanging impression that only in Canaan can God's purpose be fulfilled. If we end our Christian sojourn, spiritually speaking, in the wilderness, we will have the sense that we never arrived. We made some progress, we had all kinds of experiences, but we never really participated in the fulfillment of God's purpose. That will have to be left for others to carry out. But that need not be our end. We need a vision of the fact that the land of Canaan, the good land, typifies the all-inclusive Christ, and that only by the actual experience and enjoyment of this all-inclusive Christ can God's purpose to have the temple for expression and the kingdom for representation be fulfilled. The body of Christ, which is the fullness of Christ, as we have heard countless times, is an issue of the experience and enjoyment of the riches of Christ. That's all the enemy has to do and has been doing to frustrate the building up of the temple and the establishment of the kingdom is to keep us from actually experiencing and enjoying the all-inclusive Christ. He will let us be lamb men and manna men our whole lives. And even he will work to make us content with this, to settle with this. Oh, I just get up and gather my manna and I'm supplied. Don't talk to me about war, about risking anything, about sacrificing anything. Can I just have a, a recovery in my own terms? Can I just work out to have a church life that fits in with my values and 
my desire to have a comfy, cozy situation with my family members nearby. I don't want my sons and daughters doing a pioneering work somewhere, living in poverty. You just imagine the enemy lulls so many into this situation. Then we go on in a routine way, week after week, getting some manna, attending some meetings, having some enjoyment, but no advance to actually possess through fighting the all-inclusive Christ. And thereby to build up the church as the body of Christ, as the preparation of the bride of Christ, to bring in the kingdom of God. The Lord is for us. He knows our situation in detail corporately and personally. And for that reason, he may commission his slaves to speak certain things, to awaken us, to motivate us, to encourage us, to enlighten us, that we may have the heart to advance, even the determination to progress. And eventually we will realize, as we come now to this matter of a corporate Joshua, that part of our spiritual destiny is to be a warrior, not a worrier, but a warrior. Please watch your vowels. A warrior. Whether that's your temperament or not, whether that corresponds to your oh-so-refined culture or not, this is part of the reason for our existence. There is a portion in Brother Nee's book, The Glorious Church, the first chapter on God's purpose and God's rest, that I can say without exaggeration changed my life in the summer of 1968 when that book was published in English. And Brother Nee speaks of God's purpose in creating human beings. We're in God's image to express him. Then Brother Nee goes on to speak about what he calls the work of God, which involves representation and authority. And the work of God is to recover the earth, to subdue the earth, to replenish the earth for God's dominion. This is a work that causes, even forces, Satan, the usurper, to lose ground. I recommend a prayerful reading and fellowship over these three or four pages. It's not 
hard to find. Then he goes on to say this. In doing many kinds of works, we can spare ourselves. In preaching the gospel, although that's costly, we may spare ourselves. In teaching the truths, we may allow ourselves to remain in caring for the saints, for the churches. Still, certain aspects of ourself may remain. But in doing the work of God to cause Satan to suffer loss and to enable the Lord God to recover the earth for his kingdom, there is no room for the self. I do not believe, although I was young, well under 30, I responded to this out of ambition. We're talking war. We're talking about the most severe dealing of the Lord to prepare one to do the work of God. The only reason for wanting to participate in this is that it is God's will. It is God's purpose. It's part of our destiny. And I presented myself to the Lord in personal fellowship with him under the light of this vision to be one with others who will do the work of God whatever it costs. That was 43 years ago. And I can testify that according to his principle of human cooperation and opening, the Lord then moved for years, for decades, to touch this, to touch that. And eventually we're brought to the point in the body where we realize it's war now. There is the good land, the all-inclusive Christ, with its unsearchable riches, there to be possessed. But we must possess it. If we are indolent, if we are passive, if we are indifferent, we will not possess it. Even if there were no occupants, we would still have to be exercised to possess it. But there is what appears to be, humanly, fierce opposition. Evil beings, well-armed, gigantic in stature, occupying the land and determined to hold on to it. Then at this point, in the narrative of the Old Testament, Moses is gone and Joshua is here. And everyone mourned for the loss of Moses 
Joshua in his heart will forever remember Moses and his life of training under him, his coordination with him. But the fact is, Moses is not here. And Joshua must fulfill his commission. He has no choice. He cannot back down. He cannot withdraw. He must be a factor that will cause this people to inherit the land. Even though the land was given by covenant, God bound himself with an oath, even with a covenant, to give this land. On the human side, there still must be this factor or means or channel that will cause the people. If there is no Joshua, it's pointless to implore the people, to stir them, to encourage them. Many of them are already very seeking, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to advance. The strategy is not with them. It's with Joshua. Then the Lord comes and he knows what is ahead. So God himself tells him, be strong, take courage, be very courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Wherever you set the sole of your foot, that I will give you. The whole is promised but you will possess it step by step. If you don't put down the sole of your foot, then there will be no possession of the land. And every aspect of the advance will be contested by the enemy. But Joshua and also Caleb, they're ready for this. They've been waiting a long time for this hour and they will say, so be it. The Lord is with us. We are well able to overcome. Let us rise up and possess the land. And this kind of speaking stirs the spirit of the warrior with an A not an O, within us. This corporate Joshua, whom we will consider soon, is a warrior. I'd like to approach this matter from another angle to show you how normal it is to end up being part of a terrifying army. And we see that in Song of Songs, 
The Lord, the beloved, he has a clear view of his goal in wooing this seeker, this lover. She may not be clear in the beginning, and that's okay. The Lord is clear. And his goal is to enter into a romance with her, with a mutually maturing love that will bring about her growth, transformation, and building so that eventually she becomes his reproduction named Shulamite. And the Lord is determined, but he's not hasty. So it begins so sweetly, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Your love is better than wine. Draw me, we will run after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. So actually, even though we must concentrate on fighting to possess the all-inclusive Christ, when you continue your personal fellowship with the Lord Monday morning, ready to gird yourself for war, the Lord may say, oh, take your time. You need to be kissed first. You need to experience a love that's better than wine. And you may say, no, I want to fight. I don't want to be a sissy. No, you're not being a sissy. But if you would go out and fight now with your present stature, you will be annihilated. So stage by stage, the Lord shepherds her. And he indicates where she is. Oh, my love. You're a horse. Drawing Pharaoh's chariots. Oh, my dear one, you're a lily. The world is full of thorns, but here you are, a lily among thorns. Oh, you have eyes like a dove. Then there's this period of silence. This is, she's a pillar of smoke. She's a palanquin. She's a couch. Then she becomes a garden. And she's like the heavenly objects, the sun, the moon. And then there's a wonderful turn. And someone asks, who is this? Beautiful as Tirzah. Lovely as Jerusalem. Terrifying as an army with banners. This is a divinely natural development. Don't isolate the warrior element from the divine romance Amen. with the growth in life and transformation and building. Also, to be balanced, don't shun this normal development in your own being. 
when you realize my inner being is telling me I'm ready to participate in the war. I'm part of a terrifying army. We will tonight focus on the nature of the war itself. Now we must concentrate on the formation of this corporate Joshua. Israel, by the time they entered Canaan, was a corporate Joshua. We're just about ready to start the outline. I just point out this. Joshua was an actual person in history from whom we can learn certain principles. I was so thankful that the sister last night uh, echoed the reading of this verse, but it's a key one. I read it again, 1115. As Jehovah had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing <clears throat> undone of all that Jehovah had commanded Moses. Joshua didn't say, well, Moses, he was really a man of God. He got all this revelation, but he's gone. No, I'm here. And I'm about to get my own revelation. I'm going to get some dazzling new light that you never dreamed of. This will cause you to forget about Moses and all that he spoke to us about. That is disgusting. That kind of spirit. If you read in Brother Nee's book, The Ministry of God's Word, you will find a section where he says something like this. No servant of the Lord receives an isolated revelation. Rather, he always builds upon what his predecessors have seen. So one is serving the Lord, as Joshua was. He doesn't get something now novel in isolation. Rather, he fully assimilates all that his predecessor, Moses, had seen and made it his own. So today, on the earth, in the recovery and what pretends to be the recovery, there are two kinds of work. There is the work that follows the principle I just mentioned, that is layer upon layer, like the 12 layers of the foundations of the New Jerusalem. One building upon another. Brother Nee building upon all that preceded him, and he assimilated it all and discerned it all. 
Brotherly building upon brother knee. Now brothers building upon brother Lee. Building up one corporate expression, the Jasper City. But others want to be side by side. I don't want to be on top of anyone. I don't want to continue anyone. I am here now. It's my time. It's my day. I will be close, but I'll be side by side. You need to be comforted by the fact that in the last almost 14 years, what you have been receiving is not a side-by-side ministry, but a layer-upon-layer ministry. That's why you know it's the same. Yet, there's development, there's application, but it's the same. This is the key to Joshua. He knew he wasn't the one chosen to be in the glory on the mountain. In Exodus 24, we can't tell where Joshua was. The people were at the bottom. The leaders were in the middle. Moses was at the top. We don't know where Joshua was. That's the time of Joshua's being hidden, being with Moses. And he was very clear about what had been measured to him. He did not get the revelation directly from Jehovah. Moses was the one to receive that. Then Moses spoke it to the people. The tabernacle was built in detail according to the revelation given to Moses. And now here's the real test. The real test is not when Moses and Joshua are both here. The real test is when Moses is gone and Joshua is here. And what will he be and what will he do? And how will he lead the people? And I just love 1115. As Jehovah had commanded Moses, his servant. So Moses commanded Joshua. Some saints, they nullify themselves right here. They will say, no, I want Jehovah to command me. I want to get the direct revelation. I don't want to get it indirectly. Okay, that's not your portion. You're finished. You're outside the body. It's over. You're not qualified to enter. Much less qualified to lead. So Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that Jehovah had commanded Moses. Joshua's portion is to carry it out, to work it out, to bring God's people into it. This is the actual Joshua. This Joshua is a type of Christ, 
And the, the English Jesus, the transliteration of the Greek Jesus, that's a translation of the Hebrew Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. Jehovah our Savior, the salvation of Jehovah. And he is also the good land. So he is the good land, the all-inclusive Christ, and he is the one who brings us into himself as the good land. He is our real Joshua, wanting to bring us into rest, as Hebrews 4 reveals. We need to know him as Joshua. I believe this is in the Lord's heart for us today. And by today, I mean Saturday, March what, 26th? He would like to unveil himself to us as Joshua. I am Joshua to you. I am the leader. I am the warrior. I am the pioneer. I am the forerunner. I am well able to bring you from wherever you are into myself as the all-inclusive Christ and to enable you to inherit your portion of me and to experience and enjoy me in a way you thought you'd never experience. He is Joshua. So I would like to take the initiative to recognize him as Joshua, to honor him as Joshua, and to assure us we're not looking for some mighty individual. And we can say he and he alone as an individual person is Joshua. No. We have Christ himself and we will have his enlargement, the corporate Joshua, that the Lord will raise up. But this corporate Joshua is not afraid of war. He's ready for it. He was destined for it. He has a clear view of the victory of Christ. When others saw giants, he and Caleb saw breakfast. They saw food. They recognize the strategy of the enemy. You want to diminish us. You want to make us feel so small. And then our faith shrivels up. But this Joshua with Caleb, they had another view. They realized the ark is with us. Jehovah is with us. And not only he is well able to overcome, we are well able. Amen. May the Lord give us such a spirit. Amen. So our Christ wants to reproduce himself and to as many of us who are willing to present ourselves to the Lord to be part of this instrument.
that will cause God's people to inherit the land. See, now the outline. As the good land, Christ is ready to be taken and possessed by his believers. However, there is the need for those who are ready to take him, possess him, experience him, and enjoy him in his all-inclusiveness. So Joshua 1.3, we may look at again. Every place on which the soul of your foot treads, I have given you, as I promised Moses. Even Joshua didn't get the promise at first directly. So there must be someone whose feet will tread. If the feet don't tread, there's no actual dispossession of the enemy and possession of the land. If we will allow this thought to be anchored in our consciousness, then we just peek at Philippians 3. There you see the spirit of Joshua endeavoring to possess Christ. I press on. I pursue. I stretch forward. I forget the things that are behind. I've got a word for your entire history in the Lord's recovery. Forget it. If it's behind, forget it. If it's the glory of our elementary school days in Eldon Hall, recall that in the Feast of Tabernacles in the Kingdom, but for now, forget it. It's not 1969. It's 2011. We're not in Eldon Hall. We are on the verge of entering the all-inclusive Christ. Look what's ahead of us. The best is not behind. We have a glorious future. What a Christ. Then you start treading. Your spirit is active. Joshua 1.3 indicates that although God had given Israel the good land, Israel still needed to take the land. This is aggressive. You don't have to go out and like take a lamb. Lambs, they're so compliant. You don't have to go out and just aggressively seize manna. It's just there. But the land, even if there were no enemies, you have to go in. You have to take it. You have to appropriate it. And if you don't appropriate your own portion, no one can do it for you. And no one will do it for you. We'll come back to this matter in a little while. There is a genuine dependence on the body 
the body of Christ. We know we cannot live separate from the body. But there can be a wrong kind of dependence where we think everything should be given to us. Everyone should serve us. I don't have to breathe for myself. I don't have to pray, read. I don't have to tell the Lord I love him. Just everybody do everything for me. That is an impossibility organically. Certain things in the spirit, with the proper exercise, we need to do. Okay, they needed to cooperate with God by rising up to fulfill God's commission to possess the land. This is the principle of incarnation. This is the principle of God and his people moving as one. Okay, point two. Joshua led the children of Israel to enter the promised land to take it, possess it, and enjoy it. That's the sequence. You can't say, I'll go in to enjoy it. There's some giants there that are going to interrupt your enjoyment. And eventually you will find out, we'll see this tonight, the giants are inside of you. When you're young, you're not aware of them. The Lord doesn't want you to be aware of them. But when you're not young, eventually you come to this realization all problems are inward. They're not other people. They're not things. It's not the U.S. foreign policy. It's not the cost of a barrel of crude oil. It's not the church. It's not the brothers. All the problems are within. Then at that time, the faith will eventually rise up to say, okay, I've got Nephilim in me. Self-consciousness, self-love, self-this and that. But I've got Joshua in my spirit. They are no match. I do not believe in my fallen inward condition. I believe in Joshua. He already destroyed the devil on the cross. Can he not apply to you Amen. the supreme victory he already won? Amen. He's very good at that. Now, point A is a crucial matter, and I feel in all transparency to make a comment regarding this. Joshua was to be occupied with God's word and to let the word occupy him. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall muse upon it day and night, so that you may be certain to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Let's not first look at anything outward. This is the Lord speaking. Okay, this word, this revelation, 
that I gave to Moses and that Moses passed on to you, it's got to become yours now. It's got to be in your mouth. You need to muse upon it. You need to be saturated with it. You need to be filled with it. You need to be constituted with it. And this word that is now dwelling in you will equip you. It will empower you. It will be your faith. It will be your endurance. It will be your courage. It will be whatever you need. If you neglect this word, if it departs from you, if you cease musing upon it, you're setting yourself up for defeat. Now, a parallel verse is Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ in Colossians 3.16 is the embodiment of the all-inclusive, universally extensive Christ revealed in the book of Colossians. The word of Christ is the word spoken by Christ. The word of Christ is Christ himself as a person. And Paul is saying, let the word of Christ dwell in in you. And that Greek word for dwell, oikeo, related to oikos for house, is the same word used in Ephesians 3.17 for make home in your hearts. You need to let the word of Christ make home, settle down, saturate, permeate, your entire inner being, dislodging concepts, thoughts, imaginations, dreams, reasonings, ideas, touching feelings, all the memories of the owies that are in you that you won't let go because they empower you when you need to get even with somebody. All the feelings, everything in the will. This is the word, the combination of the written word with Christ as the living word. Together they are the word of Christ. It needs to dwell in us. But a central word in Colossians 3.16 is let. Let. The word let is directed to the will. You don't let by thinking. You don't let by feeling. You let by the will. When you let, you say yes. When you let, you agree. When you let, you give permission. When you let, you allow. You do it. If there's a dear young brother who's been honorably courting a dear sister for enough time already, it's decision time. 
And I'm old-fashioned. I think men should be men. Even in Christ, you should be men. <laughs> and the sisters should be responsive. So now this God-man will be a man when it comes to proposing. And he's made the arrangements, and he has a little box with a spherical object with some kind of mineral on top. <laughs> and, and, and so he addresses her, and suppose she doesn't say anything. There's no response. That equals no. <laughs> it equals no. It, it is an actual no. What, what is he going to do? Carry her off? <laughs> that is no way to begin married life in the church life. She has to say in some way, yes, I love you too, yes. We may not realize how much passive resistance we offer to the Lord. We think we're being humble, we think we're being submissive. Actually, we're being passive. And there is a fixed principle in the universe. And I'm pointing out, the Lord knows my heart, for your potential benefit. This was developed quite fully in a conference on Colossians 3.16, held last weekend in Madison, Wisconsin. Churchinmadison.net. There you'll find the outlines and the messages. God does not move where there is passivity, but the enemy will. To illustrate Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. If you just sit there and say, come in, he will not come in. You must hear my voice and open the door and I will come in. This is how God operates. He respects the human will, the ability to make decisions. We're not talking about willpower, but the capacity to make decisions. Did you not make a decision regarding breakfast? That wasn't willpower. Oh, will I have, what flavor yogurt? I must exercise my willpower. Come on, you just make a decision. They got blueberry? That's it. That's my choice. <laughs> but if we are passive, even passively open, the enemy will, will move. So this word let embodies a crucial principle. It is your agreement. Now one other matter, because we cannot... Uh, dwell here. Only you can let. So the sister who is being proposed to, I hope her mother realizes this, but alas, some mothers live so much through their daughters, they won't give them room to breathe. I hope they will all realize that only the sister can say yes. The mother can't come in and say, she says yes. 
<clears throat> you tried that on me, I say respectfully, I'm not proposing to you. I'm proposing to your daughter. And I would rather suffer her passive no answer than your intrusive Budinsky yes. Is there anyone here not breathing herself or himself? Anyone have a surrogate? Did someone eat your breakfast for you this morning because it was inconvenient? Even the super rich, they've got to drink their own beverage. Brothers, can someone other than you properly send a text to your wife saying, I love you, dear? You're going to hire someone to say that to your spouse? Only you can tell the Lord, Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. And only you can decide how much you will let the word of Christ Penetrate your being. That's your decision. Now listen to this. Whether you like it or not, it's the truth. You determine how much ground the Lord will gain in you in your lifetime. You determine it. Not the co-workers. Not the ministers. Not the elders. Not the other saints. Not your angel. Not even the Lord. <clears throat> because the letting is up to you. If you would go to the Lord, praying with both Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 3.17, and you tell him, Lord, I'd like to open my being to you. I love you, and I'm a little scared about what might happen, but I've made a decision, Lord, and my decision is, before I finish my course, I want you to fully gain me. I want you to fully occupy me. So that's my decision. And this is my prayer. I am saying yes, amen, to your proposal. Lord, I'm telling you, I will let you go anywhere and everywhere in my being to touch any part of me and make your home there. The Lord covers me to say, although I don't expect to be transfigured this afternoon, I understand this. And by the Lord's grace, I live this. 
Lord, I can let you and I will let you. And I don't want you to spare anything. I know you are determined. You are resolute. You are absolute. But I trust you, Lord. You know where to go. You know what to do. You know when to do things. I didn't come this far to save myself from you. To protect myself from you. Rather because I love you and I'm charmed by you, I abandon myself to you. And the Lord will honor this. He will not spare you. And you will rejoice. That he will not stop short of fully gaining you, growing in you, making his home in you, being formed in you, being magnified through you. And that's what happens when the word inhabits us. So this was this governed Joshua's private life. He had to do so many things outwardly. The strategy was given to the priest with the Urim and the Thummim and to Joshua to carry out. He had the javelin. He ordered the sun and the moon to stop. A man did it. And God listened. But the key to his success was the word dwelling in him. Related to this, I have a suggestion, but please take it as a suggestion, not as Ron's rule. I don't give rules like this. But if you would get a little New Testament recovery version, I'm illustrating from the English, text only. It's 450 pages. An average month, month has 30 days. If you would read 15 pages a day, maybe five morning, afternoon, and evening, you will read through the entire New Testament in a month. This is one way for the Word to dwell in you. Over the next year or two, if you would do this even one time, you'll discover the benefit. We need to read the word more. We need to pray read more. We need to sing the word more. We need more word of Christ. Don't expect first adventurous exploits in the spiritual realm. Now we had this conference fighting to possess the land. Let's go. We are young men, onward Christian soldiers. But the real Joshua would say, you're empty. Your being is empty. And what's not empty is full of yourself. Don't you know that as soon as you engage in battle, naive concerning yourself, the enemy, who is also a strategist, 
Whenever he wants to, he'll just aim at your weak point and you'll be disabled. When I was young and playing, playing a lot of tennis, I read this one book on tennis strategy. Never got good enough to apply the recommendation, but the illustration is helpful. And this expert says, you know, as you are volleying, then you discern the weak points of your opponent. Okay? The, the backhand is weak, whatever. But you do not play to his weakness consistently because that will make him aware of it. But now he's not aware of it so whenever is the right time and you need to score a winner, that's when you go for the weak spot. Okay. This is how the enemy plays tennis. When the word of Christ dwells in us richly and goes everywhere, it fills every weak spot with Christ. There is no weakness of the soul. Then we can fight. So the Lord wants us more than ever to be word men, filled with the word of Christ. Okay, now we can go on. The response of Israel to Joshua implied their willingness, their readiness, and their being in one accord not only with Joshua, but also with Jehovah their God, as expressed by their blessing Joshua in the name of their God. Okay, I'm not asking for anything outward. This is an illustration. What a blessing it would be we come together for the summer training. And the atmosphere is such we're all one with the Lord. And the saints would declare... Blending brothers, we're one with you. We are all open to the speaking of the Lord's word. Be strong, brothers. Take courage. Be full of faith. We are the oracle of God. This, is, this really raises the morale. But the actual situation is you realize... There's resistance there. There's criticism there. There's judgment there. And that's not the general situation, but it affects the power and the impact. But when there's real one accord that's intrinsic, we all see the land there. It's ours. We are going to destroy the enemies and possess our inheritance. And Joshua, we need you. You were prepared for this moment. We were prepared. Be strong. Take courage. We're one with you. We're all one with the Lord. Let's go get it! Yeah. Israel had become a corporate Joshua. Chosen, called, redeemed, saved, trained. Even the rebellion of Korah was a training. The upheavals we have gone through, the turmoils we have gone through, 
the defections we have suffered, if we have the proper outlook, all of it is a training. All of it is a discipline. All of it is a preparation for war. They are prepared and qualified by God, ready to go on with God as one to take the land of Canaan. May the Lord produce, and only He can do this, a sense of readiness. Not passive acceptance, readiness. It's an inward sense. Lord, we're ready. We're ready to advance. To gain the all-inclusive Christ, we need to be today's Joshua, fighting the battle, taking the land, and enjoying Christ as our inheritance. So it's whosoever will. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. We can't make ourselves a Joshua. This is to become the reproduction of Christ. But we, but we can say yes. Lord, I say no to perishing in the wilderness. I say no to eating only manna for the rest of my Christian life. I thank you for the manna. I thank you for the lamb. I thank you for the tabernacle. But that's not the goal. And Lord, I'm still breathing. And I believe you've given me time. I want to finish my course in Canaan. Amen. I want to be in my inheritance. Amen. Enjoying the all-inclusive Christ. I want to come to feasts and heap up the produce of the land. Amen. And rejoice as never before. Lord, let me taste this at least. We need such a spirit. Don't just settle. Don't just settle down. Don't just make do. That's not your being. After the Lord released the speaking in one of the messages on building in the winter training, on being buildable, a number of emails came from desperate seekers. I'm not sure I know how to supply, but I treasure their spirit. Lord, I'm not, I may be here now. I'm not going to end up here. Make me buildable. Make me buildable, Lord. Before I finish my course, build me in. I assure you, the Lord treasures that kind of prayer. Three, both in the church life and in the Lord's work, we need to resist the temptation to have our self-choice for the purpose of taking care of our own welfare. And the background is some tribes... On this side of the Jordan, they didn't have to cross. They said, whoa, this land is great for our animals. And our wives and our children, they will be happy here. So they went to Moses. He said, could this be our inheritance? And he wasn't that happy at first. He said, will your brothers go to war while you sit here? And they said, no, no. We will build settlements for our wives and children and our animals 
and we will go over with all the army of Israel to gain the land, and we will not return to our land until that has been accomplished. So Moses agreed. But it didn't change the essential situation. That was self-choice. That was preference. Instead of waiting on the Lord for his allotment, instead of waiting on the Lord for his measuring out, you see what just seems to fit your situation. And that somehow within this fear, we can work it out that is considered to be within this fear of the God-promised land. And uh, this is what we want. This is our choice. The source is not God. It wasn't the divine administration with its way of distribution. It was the self. Sometimes the Lord is strict. He will not let us have it. At other times, because he respects our will, he will say, that's what you want? That's what you prefer? Okay. Okay. But when the invaders came, the first ones to lose their inheritance were these tribes. So there's a principle here. Self-choice comes from two things. Considering what we have in need and considering how a particular situation or opportunity that we see in front of us fits in with our needs. Everything is our perspective. Okay, this is what I have. This is what I need. Then I sense there's an opportunity here and it just fits in with our needs. So that's what I want. Altogether, a self-assessment. As if we really knew who we are, what we need, where we are. But even more important, we make the decision. And the great God respects our decision. Okay. You may have your choice. Go ahead. Marry whom you choose. Forget about me. Live where you want. Buy whatever house you want. Forget about the church life. Go to whatever graduate school you want. Go ahead. Go there. Get your doctorate from that place. You don't know what you'll be like six years from now when you come out. Especially if you're a female, but you want to do it. So go ahead. In spiritual matters, we should not act according to our choice. It is much better for us to leave matters in the hand of the Lord and let him do according to his choice. Okay, this is not a challenge. This is a loving inquiry. Let's say those under 30. Will you live this way? You'll make some very crucial choices. And you need to make them. Mom and dad can't make all the decisions for you. The proper brothers and sisters would never do that. Will you act according to your choice? 
Or will you leave matters in the hand of the Lord? And let him do according to his choice. Let's just say in marriage. You can make a choice without God. This matches my need. You don't really know the being of this other person. You don't even know the disposition. You don't even pay attention to the fact of his rage that comes out when he's driving. Because you just think you're just going to love him into perfection. No, you're not. You are going to become the object of his anger. So you make a choice. You have a will. But then you get some others, but they trust the Lord. They know that the Lord will not force them to marry some repulsive person that is disgusting and they can't stand to be in the same room with, but have to coexist with for the sake of transformation. He doesn't do that. Our father is not like that. He's too human. Will you leave matters in the Lord's hands when it comes down to it? Or in your own? If in the Lord's recovery, our standing is that we will not have our self-choice, but leave the choice to the Lord, there will be no problems among us. Just so simple. The children of Israel were buried in the death of Christ and then they were resurrected in the resurrection of Christ. This is described in chapter 4. They all crossed the river. Twelve stones were placed in the riverbed to remind them of their burial. Twelve other stones were placed on the land the other side of the river to testify that they were resurrected. In their old man they could not gain the victory. Their old man had to be buried so that they would become a new man. Just being old. You may be 19 and you're in your old man. Someone else may be 91 and may be a new man. We need to realize that our old man, our natural man, the the old man is just you by God's creation. So you're 17, you're a human being created by God, and wow, are you ever old. You are a veritable artifact. You're much older than I am. It's our natural man. So, you know, this is not a training. We don't have a test. But it would be very good just to, at random, pick ten brothers, ten sisters. If we had a training, then you say, give us a testimony on how you've experienced the Lord's dealing with your natural man. Then you give a testimony. Then I ask this brother to comment on that sister's testimony. And then I comment both on the sister's testimony and on the brother's assessment of the testimony. (laughs) I'll tell you, if we had a training like this, and the, the uh, precedent for it was cooling in Brother Nee's final years. Don't worry, don't be afraid to come to a conference or training. 
we go light. We have training light. <laughs> we don't want to kill the saints. But oh, if we could ever have even a moderate version of this. First you'd be terrified. Then after you saw the benefit, you would say, please, please, can it be my turn? I, I, I want to say something. I'm willing to be touched. I'm willing to be exposed. How are you going to deny your natural man? You don't know what it is. You can't recognize it. The whole body of Christ is clear. Only you are not clear. <laughs> so you want to go marching off to war in your natural man. <laughs> and look, you're going to get slaughtered. Now, we don't leave any of our fellow soldiers behind. Now we've got to carry this wounded old man <laughs> back to base camp. Okay. <laughs> and so... We have a natural man is not qualified to fight the spiritual warfare for gaining the all-inclusive Christ. We cannot enjoy Christ as a good land without the body. That's why Joshua and Caleb couldn't say, you bunch of wimps, you cowards, full of unbelief. We're the real victors here. You stay in the wilderness. We're not going to wander around with you until your carcasses fall in the dust. We're going into the land. They could not do that. No matter how victorious they were, how overcoming they were, and how pitiful was the general population, they were part of Israel. And they had to keep the oneness with the people of God regardless of the outward condition. And Caleb, when he was there, he saw a choice possession. In his heart, he realized, this is what I will ask for. Then you read through Joshua till about chapter 14. Caleb waits until there have been many battles. Then he comes to Joshua. Very interesting. Even though they're peers, they're companions, he respects Joshua's function and Joshua's standing. And he said, Joshua, I asked for that hill country, Hebron. When we spied out the land, I realized that. I'm 80 years old. My strength is not diminished. My eye is not dim. I'm still strong for war. And Anakim were there, Nephilim, giants, a family of them. Papa Enoch and his sons. <laughs> Caleb had no fear. Joshua said, Caleb, this is yours. You just go get it. So Caleb, 80 years old, slaughtered all the giants. Okay, just a little bit of advice to those far, far from being not young and who may be subject to the spirit of the age. Let me tell you something about those of us who are not young. We left our 60s behind, now it's 70s. Maybe it'll be 80s and 90s. We're just getting going. <laughs> Don't ask us to retire. We're just getting going. We have a Caleb spirit. We will not break with you prematurely in order to get our allotment, we will fight with you side by side. But the time is coming when we'll say, 
Joshua, let me have Hebron. That's where our forefathers lived in fellowship with God. Now the enemy has occupied it. The enemy is nothing. Nephilim are still breakfast for us. I'm well able to do it. And he cleared them out and he had his portion of the land. But he did that in the body. With the body. And through the body. We must be one with the body to fight for the land. To possess the land. And to share our portion of the land. Then the record in Joshua 22, 10 through 34, about the building of another altar shows us that we must avoid division and that to experience and enjoy the all-inclusive Christ, we must be one people, one body, one universal church. It's been a horrible thing in certain places. It actually happened. We have the church, then, sorry, it's usually with a sister, a mother, spiritually speaking, a queen. Then there's the inner circle around her. And the saints that are in the church, eventually they realize, oh, wow, on a Thursday night, we can't go to that meeting. We can't go to that place. We're on the outside. There's this inner circle. And a remnant of this mentality was embodied in an email that I received. And the writer, she was quite confident that even in the New Jerusalem, we will have our select circle. Well, in the kingdom, there will be degrees of reward in relation to one's service and the degree of one's suffering. There is no trace that in eternity, in the new Jerusalem, there will be a select supersection for those who are special. <laughs> That's something hideous. That's cancerous. I'll tell you, cancer's really special. Those cells, they are really special. They're aggressive. And they just consume everything that's in the body for themselves. They don't care about the body. They only care about their own proliferation. So we must learn what this means. That spirituality is a body matter. Only the body and only those who live according to the principle of the body will possess this land. And Joshua and Caleb were not only personal overcomers, men of faith. They lived in oneness with the people of God. And they suffered for 38 years. They had to wait without complaint, without self-pity, without bitterness, without frustration, without murmuring. They had to wait before they can move. And Joshua had to wait until there was sufficient victory. Then he would ask for his portion. This is beautiful. We care for the body first. Not ourselves. We care for the body first, not our locality. And the body always knows. The sense in the body is really keen. Whether your church is in the blending life of the body or not, whether you are or not, when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly and really give ground to this word, we will discover that this word is Christ as the head of the body. And the head of the body dwelling in us as the word 
will give us the consciousness of the body, the care of the body, and we will spontaneously live as part of the body. Now our last section, then we can have a minute of prayer, then about 18 or 20 minutes of sharing. After being formed, constituted, disciplined, trained and qualified, God's people had come to the plains of Moab, where they were waiting to enter into the good land, to take it and possess it. The formation of the children of Israel into an army to fight for God typifies the New Testament believers being built up into the organic body of Christ to fight for God and with God for the carrying out of his economy. Those who would fight to take possession of the good land had to prepare themselves to move with God in his move, entering into a full coordination with him. We'll see this tonight when they took Jericho. There is a full coordination. God had a strategy. No one sounded his trumpet ahead of time. No one criticized about why are we walking around this city once a day? Why do we have to do this seven times today? Why do we have, why do we have to shout all at once? Uh, you know, I, I've got a voice, you know, probably stronger than whoever was Darth Vader. Okay, I've got this powerful voice. Why, why can't I sound out something? No. The real Joshua, he's got the strategy. You just move. Jehovah says move. Joshua says move. You move as one unit. Then the priests are sounding the trumpet. Then Joshua, I'm not sure this is what he did. He extends his javelin. Then the command is shout. Shout. The Lord has given you the city. Then the whole army shouts, Hallelujah! Don't you want to be in that kind of move? Amen. To participate in that kind of move with God? In order to take the land, God's people needed to deny themselves, sacrifice themselves, give up their own interests and preference in all things, and risk their lives for the carrying out of God's economy. In Philippians 2.21, everyone cares for their own things. But in verse 30, one co-worker risked his soul life for the sake of the... God's army, a corporate Joshua, was prepared and ready to take the good land, but their confidence was not in their readiness, was not in their preparation, was not in their experience, but in blessing. They realized, Lord, without your blessing, we cannot advance. To take the good land under the blessing of his, God and his divine trinity, and also under the blessing of Moses, the man of God. My brothers and sisters, let's get ready through the indwelling word of Christ to take the all-inclusive Christ, our good land, under the blessing of the triune God and under the blessing of the New Testament ministry. Praise the Lord for his present recovery. Please pray for a minute and then we'll prophesy.